So, Brett, what does du jour mean to you? Um, you know, that's a good question. I had never seen this movie and I watched it with Sonia. And so when they started saying, this is what du jour means to me. And then I started to put together like, wait a minute, is he going to kill off this band? <laughs> uh, Sonia, Sonia almost spoiled it for me by saying du jour means death. And so, so du jour means death for you to me means death um but yeah i thought that that was i, I thought that was a very surprising way to open a, a silly movie like this i was not expecting it how about you is there any special meaning oh well you know i'm like les so du jour means family to me but also du jour means the soup of the day uh, right. So, you know, for me, du jour means I'm walking into Panera and wondering, do they have the cream of chicken and wild rice today? Or am I getting the French onion soup? Yeah, I totally, uh, I, I was very confused because <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When Sonia said du jour means death, I was thinking, I think du jour means of the day. Like I didn't get that she was talking within the scene. We had to, we had to clarify that afterwards. Well, you are technically accurate. Right. Uh, all right. Well, let's rock and roll. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. Uh, my name is Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. Together each week, Brett picks a horror movie, I pick a rom-com based on a theme of our choosing, and then we flip-flop those movies and turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a fluffy little romantic comedy. And this week, our theme is rock and roll, baby. Let's rock, baby. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Everything a growing boy needs. I know. Uh, what does rock and roll mean to you, Brett? You know, my, as a white man, <laughs> as a white man, uh, the, my favorite thing about rock and roll is what rock and roll is about. And what rock and roll is about is rock and roll is about the, the, the power of, of self-empowerment, the power of love and the power of rock. And so I love rock and roll songs that are about the power of rock. It's very... <laughs> yeah, rocking about rocking. Yeah, it's it's like I described uh, last movie, I think, right? Where I said if one of the qualities that makes a movie a Brett movie a Brett movie is when it's for fans of that specific movie, right? So not when it's just for fans of that genre, but like if you're a fan of The Fifth Element, then everything about that movie is geared oh, towards that's such a maximum, movie like that. Yeah, it's a maximum enjoyment movie for fans of that movie. So one of my favorite rock songs is by ACDC, and it's for those about to rock. And that whole song is just, 
hey guys, we're about to rock. And they're so happy that they're about to rock and roll that they have to sing about how they're about to do it. So uh, yeah, I just like how rock is kind of this wholesome, like, we're just here to rock. What's wrong with that? How about you? Is there is is rock and I know you're I know you've got some some classical music uh, expertise. Well, What's your relation to rock? I don't just like classical music. I also like rock. I also like punk music too. And I I like just the whole attitude that comes with rock and you know I think particularly within the lane of Josie and the Pussycats and girl rock bands in general I think I also really love rock that's about being a girl or from a woman's perspective like I love um Sleater Kinney uh as a band that is really awesome and uh it's i think all female musicians and it's uh got what's her name from uh portlandia is oh, in the yeah. band. uh and she's really great uh and and yeah i think that we all and then i also grew up during a time where i think rock was kind of it for a while uh, and then also when we were growing up, there were also a lot of indie bands coming up that I enjoyed going to see live. And I don't know, there's just this whole ethos about going to a rock show or going going to a show, especially back in the day when you could still smoke indoors. It just was a whole vibe. Yeah, I was not part of that scene at all, so... I mean, I say that like I was doing this all the time, but it was more like I went to a few shows as I was a senior in high school and then onwards into college. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is kind of before uh, Deep Ellum and Dallas got really gentrified and uh, I don't know, it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, no, I I enjoy a good a good story about people in a band. I think you've got really built in roles, very easy to write about. Yeah, I agree. It's um, both of these movies make very good use of the one note cartoon character. Yeah, uh, which is just like peripherally connected to the main drama of the movie. So yeah, I, I I agree. It's it's a good it's a good way to group people together and and get them all talking about the same thing, focused on the same thing, but everyone approaches it from a different point of view. Right, because they all have a different role to play technically, and so that just makes the characters emerge very naturally. Um, you know, like the front man and the lead singer is usually the leader. Um, the bassist is kind of underrepresented and doesn't have a, a role in the band. The drummer is even lower on the totem pole. And then below him is the manager. I think managers in this movie both come across very badly. Like, you know, I, I've noticed this, like, especially in School of Rock, too, when they make that little that little uptight girl, the manager of the band. It seems like in any scenario, if you are the manager of the band, you're kind of skeezy and dweeby. 
Uh, I mean, we'll have to talk about it a little bit more when we get to Rock and Roll Nightmare, but I thought that that manager <laughs> was very wholesome and very adorable. And he... You know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, was, I mean, we can talk about it, yeah, when we get there, but... Okay, I was going to just mention one thing, since it's connection between both movies. In the beginning, Phil is wearing an Archie Club shirt. And yeah. Archie is from Riverdale, which is the same hometown as none other than Josie and the Pussycats. That's like, what an incredible amount of fate that that would be, that these two movies would be talked about on the same podcast for the same theme and have such a link. Yeah. Have such a direct connection to each other. That's, I think that's crazy. Only I here on that. Necromancer Podcast can you get this kind of horror and rom-com mix. Yeah, I still can't get over the fact that we talked about Thanksgiving and Hannah and her sisters on the same episode. That's a mix that has never been done before, and I'm just calling it right now. Nobody's ever going to do it after us. No, I hope not. Because I, I definitely good hope to that. them. Yeah, yeah. What else could you have to say yeah. that we haven't already said said there? Uh, it would just be a cheap imitation cover of our podcast episode. Ah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, quick question: If you were in a rock band, what would you play? Instrument wise, yeah. What would you want your role to be? Like, no, no technical limitations. Like, just imagine that you could pick up any of the roles in the rock band and be good at it. That is a very interesting question because I I would be trumpet because when I was a kid, not even a bassist or a guitarist or rhythm guitar or drummer or lead singer. No, those are all normal, boring roles. Are you in a ska band? Is that what you're trying to tell me? (laughs) Yes. I'm not really into ska music, but when I was a kid, I played trumpet, you know, I, I don't know. I went to a, a like elementary school or, or whatever. And it was like, okay, one of the normal things you did was pick an instrument to play. And then I went to band practice and I played my instrument and I sucked at it and I hated it. And so I quit. But I guess if I'm going to go back and, and say, I mean, I'm not very musically talented, <laughs> So I just Neither don't have I. it. I just don't. I can't keep a beat. I can't keep a rhythm. I can't play. I, I just can't do it. I I don't know. So I guess I would like to go back and and slay that beast. I could be the trumpeter who like open, you know, like a bugle caller. Maybe I could play the bugle and I could like call out the the introduction for the band. That's what I would do. I'd be like the um like a warm up guy, not the opening band, but the warm up guy for the band. I'd come out. Oh, uh, like little, those comedians that warm up for bands. Yeah, you play your little trumpet riffs, the the crowd gets hyped, and then the band comes out, and then you just kind of rock with them, and every once in a while you get in a little boop, 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 but you're not the main focus of the band. You're just the trumpeter. I, I, I trumpet the band. How about you? Is there... <laughs> Oh, well, my ego will take nothing less than the lead guitarist, of course. I mean, I'm not I'm not musically gifted in any way, but I wouldn't want to be the lead singer because I don't want that much attention. But I want the people who like are into the music to be into me. So, yeah, I would be the lead guitarist. 
and then, uh, yeah, my favorite person in Metalocalypse was always Squisgard or, or whatever his name was. So, yeah, I think being the lead guitarist and then just always having my guitar and practicing scales while everybody else is just doing whatever... Is that there a would special be me. name you would have for your guitar? I know some people call it their axe. Is I thought there... bassists call it an axe. Oh, I don't see. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think I would have a name. Yeah, I would. If I had a name for my guitar, maybe I'd have have like a woman's name or something like that. Like, this is Layla. Okay. Yeah, that's a good name mm-hmm. for a guitar. Yeah, a white Gibson named Layla. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sprouting off random brand names. I don't have any idea what's a great guitar or not. Um, uh, <laughs> but but anyways, I'm curious because you're the one who gave me, I think you gave me two options, right? You gave me two movies. And oh, one yeah. Of, Ever one After was, and right. Josie and the Pussycats. And so I picked Josie, but I'm curious what made you offer that as an option. I've been a little nostalgic for some of the movies I watched as a kid that I thought were kind of interesting and out there. Like maybe they weren't necessarily Oscar worthy performances or great artistic feats, but they did things that I thought were kind of wacky and cool. Uh, And, and I, uh, you know, for Christmas, because I love to get Christmas presents. I had gotten you this shirt, uh, music by John Carpenter. And I'd actually gotten myself a shirt from the same store uh, directed by Nora Ephron, because obviously I love Nora Ephron, but this store, Super Yaki, I think they're actually located here in Austin. Uh, They had some shirts on their store for Josie and the Pussycats Uh, And just, you know, like you were saying at the beginning of this podcast, some movies create fans, not just of a genre, but of that movie. And Josie and the Pussycats has fans. And I can remember seeing this movie in theaters because I was that kid who was going to the movies at the malls all the time, Mm -hmm. even though now malls are dead. It's crazy to think about that, too. Uh, And yeah, I hadn't seen Josie and the Pussycats in a while, so I thought... Yeah, let's give it a rewatch and see how it is. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you did because I had I had a real fun time with this movie. Oh, I think this movie is so funny and silly. Um, you know what? I was going to ask which movie we should do, but I'm just calling it. Let's just go right into Josie and the Pussycats since we're already talking about it. Yeah, if uh, you had asked me, I would have suggested it first. Okay, perfect. So the thing that I love about this movie is that it walks that knife edge between clever and totally stupid that I just love in kind of a campy, satirical comedy. You know, I I really enjoy it. It kind of reminds me of there's a movie that just came out called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. And it's got the same kind of energy where it's just towing that line right between clever and stupid and just having fun with itself and being a cartoon. And that's what this movie is. It's a movie based on a cartoon and it knows that. Yeah. um, I would say if I were to put on my critical comedy snob hat, 
I could say that that this movie's got like a fifty percent success rate with its jokes because a lot of the jokes are really lazy or overdone or like they're but just. Sometimes it's fun to be stupid like that. I, I know, I know, but they're they're just been there, done that jokes. But they it reminded me a lot of Wayne's World, which to me has yes. a much better success rate. But it's also about music and corporations and not selling out and all that stuff but you know at some point it's got to be your first time seeing those kinds of jokes or type of movie you know what i mean like just because josie and the pussycats does what a bunch of other movies have already done doesn't mean like that just means that little girls who go see that movie will be exposed to that kind of stuff and go wow that's really cool and then when they watch other stuff they'll go hey that's like this other thing that I like. So That's exactly I, true. And I was that preteen watching this movie. Yeah. So I don't get too, I, I don't get too picky about stuff like that where I'm like, oh, well, I've already seen this joke a hundred times. So what? People who watch this movie in theaters probably haven't. Um, but yeah, also there are genuinely laugh out loud, really funny moments in this movie that I was not, I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was ah oh, i'm so <laughs> pleased to learn that i this was a this you have to imagine from my perspective this, this was a bit of a risk because i think that you really hate when movies are too precious and you have a very low tolerance for things that are twee like I mean, there's the whole Amelie debacle back in the uh, French episode. Uh, and and in general, you, you have no tolerance for cutesy, precious girls. I guess. I and think that it, manic pixie. You have, no, you have no tolerance for manic pixies. I mean, I'm not into the style of this movie. <laughs> I'm not into... Like, I had no... Although I do really like Rosario Dawson. I had no idea she was in this movie. Um, oh, this I, is an early role for her. Yeah. I, I'm not, I mean, yeah, the aesthetics of this movie aren't quite my thing. But I, I can get into cutesy, twee area. I don't know. Wally is my favorite Pixar movie. That's got a little bit of... It's true. Overly cutesy, tweeness. But no, yeah. But it also has a sinister, dark undertone. So does this movie, yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, this movie does have that, too. Maybe that's what keeps you hooked. Maybe. I did think, I thought that the both of these remixes were extremely hard for me. And usually when a, a remix is extremely hard for me, it's because the movie already incorporates so many elements of the opposite genre. And this movie already has a bunch of elements of horror movies that I love. I mean, like they mind live. control. Yeah, they live all about uh, <laughs> subliminal messaging that is created by a filmmaker who is a legendary <laughs> composer and does rock music. Like, yeah, this movie is the girl band equivalent of They Live. Oh, that's such a good description of Josie and the Pussycats. I feel like that should be on the DVD box. Yeah, I, I, I not instead of They Live, They Rock. I don't know. Uh, oh, I love that. I love that so much. And again, I'm so glad that this movie got to you because yes, rewatching this movie, I did think that 
it there were parts that were corny and you know obviously yeah. they just kind of reached for the lowest hanging fruit or they took it in a direction that I was like okay um but uh, the the characters and the actors were so funny like Alan Cummings and uh Parker Posey were yeah. amazing <laughs> Uh, some of the, uh, just the gestures she makes, like when she stands in front of her picture and makes the same (laughs) gesture that she does in her, in the photo on her wall. It's just so crazy. Uh, all right. Should we get into it? Yeah, I cannot wait. Me neither. (laughs) All right. So... Wyatt Frame is an executive with the pop music record label Mega Records. And, uh... (laughs) I love how generic it is. Right. It's like uh, Matrix, the Megacorp, or whatever Thomas Anderson works for. Uh, It's, yeah. He's confronted on a private jet by successful boy band du jour over a strange backing track that they have discovered on their recent single. And so what's great is the the boy band is completely, I don't know, it's like they're completely chaotic. They they just are, they're, they're not intelligent people. <laughs> Donald Faison and Seth Green and... Um... Uh, the other one, Meyer. yeah, Breckenmeyer. Yeah. They're just petty and fighting. Meanwhile, right, the little, one they're, they're little boys. <laughs> I like the one good one, Les, who keeps saying things like "Dejour's family," yeah, Dejour's friendship. And so, the moment they come together to confront Wyatt with this, uh, with this mysterious, strange track. Uh, he bails on them. He, he takes the pilot, they both parachute out, and the plane crashes. So, Wyatt lands outside of a town called Riverdale, and he begins searching for his replacement band, and he is kind this of is under pre- pressure. This pre-CW Riverdale, or pre- right. <laughs> pre-new Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, he's kind of put on the chopping block by mega record CEO Fiona, who of course is played by the wonderful Parker Posey, who kills it in this movie as a cartoon villain. Um, But while Wyatt is looking, we get introduced to the Pussycats. The Pussycats are a band which is uh, led by vocalist and guitarist, Josie McCoy, drummer, Melody Valentine, Valentine, and bassist Valerie Brown. Uh, I love so, her character intros. It was very cutie, cute and poppy. Yeah, and I liked their their introduction of like, hey, we you know we're playing at the 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 bowling alley and we're really rocking out, but no one's paying attention to us, and then we have to pay for our own shoe rentals and. Like, yeah, it was really cute. All like they were so dedicated to rock, but at the same time, like all they needed was their one big break. Uh, so while they're running around being chased by someone or something, uh, Wyatt almost hits them with his car. He says, get in. They drive away and Wyatt goes, hey, guys. I'm the I'm the big break you're looking for. I will sign you to a mega deal and we will make you mega stars. And so all of this happens super fast. Like the little montage of them climbing up the charts was really awesome. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, and and they even kind of lamp. I like that they lampshade it too. Uh, when they say, don't you think this is weird that this has all happened in two weeks? And then they yeah. look at each other and say, nah. nah. <laughs> uh, I also liked uh, Missy Pyle as uh, Alexandra Cabot. And when they're all in the plane together, acknowledging how absurd yeah. this is. For instance, Alan M says to Josie, uh, I can't believe they let me come with you. And she says, oh, well, they think you're my guitar tech. Uh, and then, uh, Missy Pyle says, I'm here because I'm in the comic book. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff. I, I'm glad that they didn't overly, overly rely on that kind of fourth wall breaking stuff. They because, sprinkled it. Yeah. Because that little sprinkling of it was the perfect amount to, uh, just to make it really cute um oh but yeah that montage of them climbing the charts was just adorable as they were just like it's a little ladder it was really cute and i liked how they did the whole glam makeover thing but at the same time they made it really intimidating and scary and like uncomfortable for them so it's kind of like you get to have your cake and eat it too you know it's like Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a girl movie, so we're going to have a makeover scene. But also, it's like the makeover scene is all about them going like, whoa, this is happening way too fast. This is too much. We feel like something's weird here. It's out of place. So, but You know what? How about the the scene, meanwhile, with Fiona revealing the reason that they're using the pussycats? It felt very Austin Powers. Yes, I thought about that, too. When she lowers the uh, evil base her office into the evil base. She's got all of the different government representatives from around the world. And she's detailing delegations. Yeah. She's detailing how the United States government has now conspired with the music industry to hide subliminal messaging in pop music to brainwash teenagers into buying consumer products. And anytime a musician discovers the hidden message, they are promptly taken care of via some kind of tragic incident, Um, which is very sad. But hilarious. (laughs) It's so hilarious because at this point, we'd seen a lot of musicians die mysteriously, whether it was from car crashes or drug overdoses. I love when they showed... Uh, behind the music to demonstrate well we created a whole show to yeah, sell that, these stories that was that was a legit great funny joke that i laughed at yeah that's like not only are we so in control of the situation that we can make anyone disappear but we actually use it as entertainment and put out a whole tv show based around it oh it's so perfect but i think my favorite part i mean i loved that they included uh eugene levy in the video explaining (laughs) the evil plan uh but the fact the voice the voice of all the subliminal tracks was my favorite uh of the moment joke yes the movie phone guy we use Mr. Movie Phone. He does all of our subliminal tracks. Uh, and people, the people, the gen, it, it kills me, Brett, to think that the generation of today has no idea what I mean when I say Mr. Movie Phone. Because in a pre-internet world, you had to actually call a number 
to find out the local show times at the theaters near you. You couldn't just go on your phone and look it up. Mr. Movie Phone told you where to go. Yeah, I, I never really used Movie Phone. I always just Me used neither. the newspaper. <laughs> I actually used, um, what is it, 311 or 411? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's very funny that um, that they're doing the subliminal messaging, that they've got all this stuff. I also think it's a super... I think the the gimmick of having a sort of uh, video, like a Eugene Levy, here I'm going to explain it to you video. It's kind of like um, Jurassic Park when they sit down for the ride and it's like, here's the cartoon DNA. Let me explain the movie to you. I think that's a, a, a very efficient economical gimmick for a movie like this where it's just like, yeah, we're just going to sit down and have a character talk right at you and say, hey this is the premise of the movie. We are they putting... made it funny. Right. So yeah, I think that like, you know, uh, when he, when he talks about how robust his body of work is and it, it's very good stuff. I, I like also, you know, throughout once they start to get involved with uh mega records Every scene has this just aggressive amount of branding in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're staying at Hotel AOL. Melody is in the McDonald's suite and she's using a French McDonald's French fry sponge in the shower, yeah. which has McDonald's on the frosted glass. It's just in an, and then uh, what is it? Val is in the target room and she says, I feel like something's wrong here as she's holding the target dog mascot. Yeah. So, I mean, again, yeah, the whole idea that, that, that selling out is bad and yet the movie is selling out. Like that's, that's to me kind of like uh, an easy recipe for lazy jokes, but you, you, you really nailed it. You hit the nail on the head with the, uh, the McDonald's sponge bath scrubber. Like that, that's a good joke. They go the mile. They yeah. go the extra mile. They go and the extra mile to make it. I'll point out later points where I find this particularly hilarious too, but they, they fully take advantage of it. And then also watching it now, I found it to be prophetic. Because the world in Josie and the Pussycats is the world that we live in now, except now it's not considered an evil thing. You go on Instagram and there are so many sponsored posts. You know, celebrities do exist seemingly just to sell us on things and and to sell us on themselves, too. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Larry Fessenden's friend said in Habit, uh, consumerism is the real vampire, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so uh, why Alan Cumming, Wyatt Frame starts to sow the seeds of of fighting and conflict when he renames the band from the Pussycats to. Josie and the Pussycats, which Uh-oh. starts to cause some conflict between Josie and uh, Vale. And it's not that Vale is jealous. It's just that 
Wyatt is going out of his way to make her feel left out. <laughs> and they're going out of their way to really pump up Josie as the megastar. And so, unfortunately, Josie does get some of that brainwashing stuff in her head. So she does kind of become a little bit of like an evil Josie. I, I also like that it's just such a parody of the band breaking up and this particular, you know, friction in the band. I like when uh, Val is watching the Captain and Tennille documentary. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love did not keep us together. Um, yeah, and... All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. Uh and so they're they're very suspicious of uh Fiona. They become suspicious of Fiona. So once that kind of happens, once once they start to go like, "Wait a minute." Once they actually start to go, "Okay, yeah, this all happened in 2 weeks. That's weird, right?" Nah. Oh, and then they're oh, like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Wait. You, wait one moment. You skipped over I think probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is while Josie is getting brainwashed while listening to the exact same Walkman that I had <laughs> in that year. Um, that Walkman, by the way, was amazing because you could drop it. You remember some of the Walkmans back yeah, in the yeah, day yeah. were pretty fragile. You dropped it, the case would pop open, your CD would fall out and get scratched. Ugh, kids these days don't even know what kind of even problems we had to deal with. it a little bit. So that's why they had like skip resistant ones were like or, or mm-hmm. shake resistant ones so that you could like that walk. was one of them yeah. that was one of them so you see josie walking with it advertising <laughs> the fact that this was a walkman that you could walk with um but yeah you could i remember i was so proud of that one i felt like you could i could drag it behind me in my car and it would still you know work because it was that that right. tough Um, but my favorite scene is when, uh, Alan Cummings sends them to TRL, but then it turns out TRL is just filled with, um, just like paper. It's like, it's like COVID-19 now where they put fake people in the Mm -hmm. audience instead of real people. Uh, and then it's Carson Daly and Aries Spears come out to kill, Melody and Val and Aries Spears keeps doing all of these impressions and he's like, How would you like Eddie Murphy to kill you? I I thought it was fucking hilarious. It was very silly. Uh yeah, and Carson Daly is always in to laugh at himself in a movie or a show or something. So yeah, that I I was just getting to that because yeah, it's 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 where we have the big breakup, right? Like, right. Bale and Mel are attacked by the TRL guys. And when they come back to try to say to Josie, hey, we were attacked, instead of saying, like, oh, my gosh, that's terrible, Josie's pretty much like, yeah, well, who cares? I'm the megastar of this show anyway. Get out of my face. I'm going solo. Um, and so... Uh, <laughs> and so we, we start to discover... Of course, I mean, we already know that um, that this is subliminal messaging stuff, but. Um, uh, I liked when she said puppies turn into dogs that grow old and die. That, <laughs> that really upset horrible. Melody. <laughs> that was so upsetting. I mean, this movie is <laughs> what, like PG or like, and that's in a PG movie. Come on, man. Uh, I thought that was way below the belt 
Um, but yeah, we, we start to get scenes of like Wyatt going to a, a record store and he, he gives people copies of stuff and they just start going nuts. I like the whole joke, like the reoccurring joke of the blank is the new blank. It's very funny, mm-hmm. very silly. Um, but then Josie does catch on to, to the, uh, to Wyatt's conspiracy. She discovers that there actually is a hidden track in the mixing uh-huh. board, she discovers that what is it called? Like the mega mega system, mega computer, mega, master yeah, it, masters. It's switcher. adding that new subliminal track on there. I like that when she's listening to it with Missy Pyle as Alexandra. That um, Missy Pyle says, "How did you get Mister Movie Phone?" And then she looks at Josie and says, "You slept with him." Yeah, <laughs> um, it's. It's very good. So, so now we have the big the big concert, right? So the big setup for the big concert is that everyone has to buy these Josie and the Pussycat headphones, which I thought was super cool because those headphones exist, right? I don't know what came first, the actual yeah, e girls wear them, but yeah, like a bunch of gamer girls and stuff, like have those little cat headphones. And so, but the only way to listen to the concert is with the headphones. So you have to buy the headphones to get the subliminal messaging pumped right into your earlobes. And um, um, and so while Fiona and Wyatt plan for Josie to perform alone, the band insists on performing together. Uh, Fiona and Wyatt threaten to kill Melody and Valerie in a stage car explosion if they don't comply. But then just as everything seems to be at the most desperate, someone appears from the shadows and it's not just one person. It's four people. It's the <gasps> band du jour. Uh, du jour is hope. Du jour is alive. They survived the plane crash. They landed in the middle of a Metallica concert where they were promptly beaten up by the Metallica fans, and uh, and they they still are extremely incompetent at what they do. They are still a goofy, ineffective boy band, but they provide enough distraction for the Pussycats to get away. And so, uh, or to to kind of escape. But then they end up having to fight off. Uh, you know, they all kind of break off into their own little fights. And Melody turns out to be a super martial arts badass. Of Very course funny. <laughs> of course. Um, I like the slap fight between Parker Posey and Rachel Lee Cook. Yeah, a little cat fight. That's how cats fight. <laughs> uh, and so during the tussle, Fiona acts, and I, I do like this too. We're like, I, I like the the villain who who is so blinded by their own mission that they end up destroying their own mission. It's a very good like kid way to say, "Hey, if you're going to do the bad thing, it's going to come back to bite you in the butt." So Fiona accidentally destroys her own machine. And we reveal the new subliminal messaging is actually her voice. And all she really wants to do is have everyone like her so she can be popular because she was never popular in high school. And she was an outcast due to her lisp. And then Wyatt reveals (laughs) reveals that he actually was also disguising his 
uh, thing, which was he was an albino, which caused him to be persecuted. So, and they were from the same high school. So they immediately <laughs> fall in love. Sounds like one of our remixes. Right. Uh, it, it's yeah, it sounds like a thing that's like, oh, shit, we're in draft number five and we still haven't figured out this like, ah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's the motto of this podcast. We'll figure it out. Uh, so the two immediately fall in love. Uh, the government agents colluding with Fiona arrive, but they're kind of like, you know, they use them as scapegoats to protect their own secret um you know secret desires and conspiracies <laughs> i uh, like that the government is still bad but <laughs> they managed to get away this time i right. like when the government agent points over rachel lee's cook's shoulder and <laughs> to say arrest them <laughs> um and so yeah they, they say hey uh y- you know movies movies are going to be the new subliminal messaging making another fourth wall breaking joke because we are now watching a movie um and so yeah then we get the end of the movie which everything wraps up super nice Josie Vale and Mel perform at the concert together the boyfriend who's sort of been Alan M who yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he's called Alan M I'm sure that's in the comic but was there another Alan in the comic I don't know it's got to be some kind of inside joke or some kind of joke that just maybe at like the genericness of like maybe it's like he's not just any alien he's alien m i don't know but <laughs> alien shows up to the concert josie did miss his concert because of uh oh this is great this is one of the greatest things of the movie that i super appreciated right so yeah. these two are obviously meant to be together right they're both at the beginning of the movie she, he she clearly likes him missed opportunities right he's always kind of saying to her like did you ever want to say something to someone, but we're too scared? And she's like, yeah. And then he's like, I want to say this to this person. And it's not. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not, they're not quite on the same page yet. Right. And so when he invites Josie to his concert, she says yes. But then Wyatt, who is trying to gaslight her and dirty John her and separate her from her family and friends. Dirty John. <laughs> uh he he says hey uh by the way alan called and his concert was canceled uh and there's a good little gimmick of him like calling for the message and stuff very funny but she doesn't go to his concert because she's assumed it's canceled so later when alan shows up and says hey even though you didn't come to my concert i came to yours and josie says what why it told me it was canceled and alan's immediate reaction was that dick it's like yeah they they completely put that past them because they both realized like oh yeah this guy's a dick we still like each other boom uh the concert removes their headphones she gives a little speech about being yourself and for the first time they earn their um their praise by using their own talent and skills I and love that part. They're uh, not sure if they're going to like their music. Yeah. And so uh, not only do we end on the classic Josie and the Pussycats theme song, but we also end with bloopers. Another and a dance party. Yeah. Another thing that, that we were talking about pretty recently in terms of why don't more rom-coms end on dance parties? Yeah. We need more dance parties and bloopers in movies. 
I agree. I yeah, I think that's one of the best parts of the ending of There's Something About Mary, for example. Yeah, I I love the end. And I also love the detail that when Alan M is being crowd served to Josie, and they're talking to each other, that you just hear the repeated bass line and the drums, and then Josie's guitar doesn't come back in until she's done kissing Alan and she goes back to playing. So they weren't lazy with the music and how they added the music into the movie. So they they did kind of make it a joke to where uh, Melody and Val were just kind of sustaining the beat while they were waiting for Josie to finish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's kind of like jazz in that aspect of, you know, you, 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 you support, you support each other. That's what being a good man, band member is about supporting your band. And they were, they were doing it musically, which I thought was pretty cute. You know, oh man, this, this movie is so fun. Uh, and, and even though I would say that it's light on the romance, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of just enough for a fun little movie like this. Uh, and I really liked in the makeup scene between the girls, uh, you know, the, you get the long makeup scene between the best friends and then the short makeup one with Alan M, which I also liked. Like it, it's yeah. going to be more meaningful for the girls to make up with each other than for Josie to make up with Alan M, which is a foregone conclusion. Um, but when they make up with the girls, they have just put Val and Melody in that spinning car display. And I really liked that uh, Josie has to walk around in circles. And uh, what is it? Tara Reed keeps turning yeah. her head so that they can continue to talk as the car is spinning. Uh, and just the the whole comedy of that, I thought was really funny. Yeah. Also, when this movie started out, I didn't know a lot of people were in this movie. I actually had no idea Tara Reid was in this movie. The only person I knew who was in it was uh, Rachel Lee Cook. So I had no idea Alan Cummings or Parker Posey or Missy Pyle was in it. But also, the um, the opening credits of the movie said director of photography was Matthew Liebatique. Oh. And Matthew Liebatique, I'm sure you know this, Shira. Um, I can assure you I do not. <laughs> he is the DP for Aaron Aronofsky. So he's done every single Aronofsky movie that I, I mean, maybe it's like one or two that he didn't do, but he's done all the Aronofsky movies. But he also did the Iron Man one and two, which is like, that's the beginning of the MCU. That he was part of the um, John Favreau MCU team that sort of you know changed superhero cinema. So yeah, he he knows his stuff. He knows how to make an energetic movie about cartoon characters. <laughs> this was his training ground for um, for Iron Man. So are you telling me that Josie and the Pussycats rocked? So that Marvel could run. It, Josie and the Pussycats rock so Marvel could roll. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a much better one. Thank you. <laughs> um, oh, I also really liked Josie's realization that as a celebrity, her whole purpose is to sell things, including herself. Yeah. 
I'm using my music to sell merchandise. <laughs> I'm using my music to sell me. Me. <laughs> uh, very cute. Also, you know when I knew I was actually in good hands with this movie was when, when they were talking about how they are the only three people in Riverdale to have three people in their bus pass photo. And oh, I, was like, I thought that, that was is, so cute. That is such a cute way of showing and not telling that like, yeah, they say we're best friends, but also they have, yeah, they are the only people probably in the entire world who have their best friends in their bus pass thing you know what i mean so it's like i thought that was really cute because like yeah later she's later when they break up she's gonna have to look at it and remember oh wait we're best friends and then they're gonna come back together the only thing i wish is i wish that it was more of a choice on her end like if i was doing a rewrite and just kind of punching things up i would make it so that maybe she turned down her limo driver for whatever but she still had to make it to the megacorp headquarters for the concert and she had to pull out her bus pass and like, oh, I can't believe I'm about to take the bus. This is embarrassing. But then when she takes out the bus pass, it's like, oh, wait, this is where I'm from. And then I don't know. But instead, she just kind of falls. She trips. It spills out. But I still I thought that that was a very like, yeah, show don't tell, you know, like that was a very good, again, economical way. This movie's only an hour and a half. I like movies that... <laughs> use yes. these cinematic tricks to fast forward through like yeah we get it they're friends i don't need you to sell me on them being friends i came to see a movie called josie and the pussycats they're friends i get it so yeah i thought that was very cute i agree i thought i thought that was really clever so any final thoughts before i ask the question nope i thought it was good <laughs> I I really enjoyed this rewatch of Josie. Uh, so who would you kill, though, from the movie? Is there anyone to kill? I am going to, I called it super early in the movie so that I wouldn't have to think about it. Because I'd like, mm-hmm. this movie is all cartoon characters. Sometimes it's hard to kill characters when it's like, yeah, but they're they're cartoonishly evil. I'm going to kill Breckenmeyer because oh. he's, he's got the pet monkey and he named his pet monkey Dr. Zaius. Dr. Zaius is the ape from Planet of the Apes, and apes and monkeys are not the same. So that guy is a dummy. He deserves to die. He should have died in the plane crash. Dr. Zaius, it's like... He should have known better, is what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely think he should have. It's insulting to name a monkey after an ape. I think. I don't know if I was, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tempt the apes, apes together strong. I've seen those movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you? Who, who's, who's on your chopping block? Who are you going to chop with that guitar axe of yours? Carson Daly. I oh, yeah. want Aries Spears to replace Carson <laughs> Daly. He's credited as the other Carson Daly. Yeah, that's which funny. Which I found pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, um, bring back Aries Spears, take away Carson Daly. That's what I want. All right. All right. Carson Daly on the chopping block. Get out of here. So you mentioned that for you, these remixes were pretty hard. Extremely hard. 
Unfortunately, this one is very bare bones. My my other one is all right, but yeah, this is very bare bones. So I can blast through it super quick. And yeah, uh, I I'd say that that I'll I'll let you go first on this one because for some reason this week I just went full blown Amadeus and it just came out of me. Yeah, I think that's great because. That almost never happens, by the way. I, I most, can't of the, most of the time, I'm very lazy, and right. I'm sure that you all can tell when. Well, we'll see how how, <laughs> how much I can hide my laziness and try to pull something out of my my. No, my no, no. Lazy, lazy is good. We still embrace lazy here. We are lazy procrastinators, and don't you forget it. All right, so... I've done some of my best procrastinating for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, this was definitely a a procrastination episode. Um, I don't have a name for this one, of course, Uh, but I am... Oh, we'll get to think of one. I am going to say that both of my movies are sequels to the original movie. So this is going to be a sequel to Josie and the Pussycats. And... We're going to start off with Josie the Pussycats in an airplane and they are maybe they're like live streaming something from their plane and they're talking. Maybe maybe someone won a chance to chat with them on their live stream. So it's like their number one fan entered a contest and their number one fan. I, I don't know who I don't have a name for her. I'm terrible with names. So I'll just call her Betty. Is Betty is um that's that's Archie Comics, right? Yes. So I'll just call her Betty for lack of a better name. Uh but while they're streaming and Skyping or doing whatever, the plane is shot down by a missile and it crashes. What? So now Everyone is mourning Josie and the Pussycats because they're dead. However, through the power of rock, as their as their fans are singing their songs in you know as part of their mourning and funeral, and like we're you know instead of lowering the flag to half mast, the president comes out and says we're going to play the Josie and the Pussycats song at noon on this day, and so the entire country is singing the song, and then we get little magic dust. Josie and the Pussycats, Josie, Mel, and Vale are reincarnated as actual cats and so oh that's kind of adorable yeah so now they have to deliver maybe in the plane the plane crashed and someone the the evil corporate guy who shot them down with the missile stole their usb drive with their new hit single on it and he wants to like do a remix of the single and make it evil uh so the cats have to go and find the usb drive and deliver it to their recording studio. And so what do they have to do? As cats. As cats. So they have to talk. They have to find their number one fan. And or they're they're magically transported to the trash can behind the number one fan house or something. And so she finds them. Oh, Betty and, would be perfect to help with this. Yes. And so Betty can hear them talk. But no one else can. So we got a little Detective Pikachu type thing going on, right? And so then we just get 
it's not a horror movie in the sense that this is a rated R horror movie. This is a horror movie for kids. The cats get chased around by dogs. We can have a mean junkyard dog who breaks loose and chases them throughout the streets. We've right, got, like the dog from the Sandlot. Yeah, we got the cars. You know, there can be a scene where they have to like go through a highway and there's cars everywhere. There's a scene with animal control. We can have a comedian come in. We can have Ari Spears come in and be the animal control guy. Uh, Ari we, Spears and Will Sasso, animal control. Yes, <laughs> that would be a great, um, a great team. Uh, um, what do you call it? A throwback team up. Um, and so then there's maybe a scene with rats where they're like, oh, it's just one rat. We can take on just one rat. But then it's like a swarm of rats. And they're like, ah! And so, you know, again, lots of musical silliness, but also like stuff that would be scary if you were a kid. And it's like, oh, no, the cat is going to be eaten by all these rats. And then lastly, we can do some kind of prank joke where like they keep putting cucumbers behind the cats, freaking them out. <laughs> um, but... The idea is that the um, the the guy who has the 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 USB drive of the 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 single, he's gonna put it into his remixer. So it's the power computer, whatever. It's been rebuilt, and now it's like you know it looks all high tech and super cool and spacey. But it's basically the 2.0 version of it. And so what we have to do is I don't again we'll figure it out. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats are unable to sing their song, but they need to use the power of pure music to cancel out the power of corrupted music. And so Betty now has to, we can work in this whole time that she's, while she loves Josie and the Pussycats and is able to sing Josie and the Pussycats' songs, she's afraid to sing her own songs. Oh, so she's now, got a song in her. She's got a can't right. fight the moonlight. So now Betty has to combat the evil Josie and the Pussycats remix with her own original song. And she destroys mm-hmm. the computer using the power of rock. The cats turn of back course. into people and it turns out, Oh, we didn't die in the plane crash. We were able to parachute out or, you know, whatever gimmick they, they can come up with. And then we end with the traditional Josie and the Pussycat song, but now we have Betty as part of the group and she gets her own little solo riff. And that's, I mean, this is not a horror movie, but again, like if you watch Brave Little Toaster as a kid, you would know that like, oh crap, there are some scary ass scenes in that movie. (laughs) Oh yeah. That movie scared the shit out of me, especially that junkyard scene. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly like, yeah, we can have animal control and dog junkyard dogs and we can make it scary for kids. So I'm going for the very soft PG scare on this one. I like that. I like that. I mean, it's a cartoon for kids and it's a horror movie for kids. Right. Oh, before we get into your remix, were, have you, were you, did you have any connection to the cartoon? Uh, I watched the cartoon among other cartoons that were on Cartoon Network in the mornings or at odd hours. They would play things like the original Space Ghost or um, uh, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. They also played this other one where there were like space rhinos. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Glebe and Glorb or something. Yes, 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 yes. 
Uh, so I watched all of those as a kid because, you know, when you're a kid, you just literally watch everything that's on. Yeah. So I Jabberjaw? Can... Did you ever watch Jabberjaw? I, I don't know about that, but I, I watched before Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I watched Space Ghost because it was on TV. And uh, oh, Wacky Races was another one yeah, that was Johnny on all Quest. the time. Johnny and Quest Johnny and Space Ghost were my jam. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Quest too. I watched that as well. Um, so I can remember seeing episodes of Josie and the Pussycats, and in those episodes, they wore their cat costumes, right? As they solved mysteries. I uh, I don't know if I ever specifically watched Josie and the Pussycats. I know I know I'm sure that I did see episodes, but I think I knew them mostly from crossovers. They did mm. a lot of crossover stuff. But Jabberjaw, right. I think that's probably what I remember them from. Jabberjaw is a mix of Josie and the Pussycats and Scooby-Doo, where they sing songs and they go around and solve mysteries. But instead of a talking dog, they have a talking great white shark <laughs> who sings songs with them. I think I vaguely remember that. I yeah. I definitely watched a lot of Scooby-Doo too. And I think I yeah. remember them showing up sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of cross. Kiss. Kiss did a crossover with Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. How about your, um, how about your remix? Oh, we never figured out what the title of yours would be. Um, ooh. Josie and the Pussycats Become Cats. How about Betty and the Stray Cats? Oh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. That works. Yeah. So my plot or my movie is called Josie and the Pussycats Go to Hell. Yeah. That's uh, that fits. That's like Josie and the like Ernest goes to camp. <laughs> Exactly. You know, it's right. just it's just another episode right. in the great, you know, live of Josie and the Pussycats because they just have adventure after adventure. So Josie and the Pussycats are busking for cash and exposure when a shop owner threatens to call the police. So as they're running away, they get hit by the du jour tour bus and they're killed instantly. Uh, but it gets worse. Josie, Val, and Melody wake up in hell. How do they get there? They're good people, aren't they? Josie seems heartbroken. Val is determined to solve the mystery of how they got there. And Melody thinks everything in hell is cute. (laughs) Uh, And they're immediately made into corporate wage slaves their version of hell, and they have to endure every petty nightmare working in an office entails. Hell thrives on the succession of endless contracts, so basically they work for a demonic call center. I, I'm i just so into corporate drudgery being a part of my horror movies. So, you know, not only is the real horror people... Um, but I think that the real horror is working every day until you're dead. I hear Uh, that. So after a particularly hellish work day, the girls go to a bar. I want it to be very nine to five, like where they're just like, oh, what a day. And then that's where they see a flyer for something called the Stairway to Heaven contest. Oh, and uh, Alan M has a Led Zeppelin shirt on at one point in the movie. Yeah? Yeah. 
Well, I you, you got to make the rock illusions when you're doing a rock and roll horror movie. Uh, so the contest every year bands compete to win a ticket out of hell, uh, and only one band can win. And then if you lose, then your band sinks further into the depths of hell. Uh, and then another problem is the fact that hell is filled with awesome musicians who sold their souls to become great musicians. Uh, so there's a really slim chance that they'll be able to win. Uh, but Josie insists that they should enter the contest and Val is really suspicious. She thinks that they need to focus on solving while they're there, uh, before they can even think about getting out. Like we got to find out while, while we're here because it's obviously a mistake. Uh, and then Melody's just kind of adjusting pretty well and is maybe talking to the demon bartender or something. Just Melody is fine wherever she is. And I liked that joke about her character. Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed when she sees the beware of the music message on her mirror. Yeah. And she adds the smiley face and the heart and says, that's better. Right. So Val... She goes to see the Reaper for information. And because this is my made up movie, the Reaper is really hot. Uh, he's a sexy angel of death, a la Bruce Wayne. And his setup is like a penthouse at the top of a Gotham like building. You know, he's he's sexy and he wears a suit because why not? Why not put a hot person in my movie? Uh, so the Reaper tells Val the truth, which is that Josie sold their souls for the same reason all musicians sell their souls, to be really awesome at music. Val is devastated. She confronts Josie, who tells her that it's the truth, but she didn't expect for them to die suddenly crossing the street. She thought that they would make it right. and, you know, have a long life of success ahead of them. <laughs> um, so, of course, uh, Val... Uh, and Melody go away. Melody, of course, goes with Val to see what she can do to mend things. Josie has to sit and think about her choices. Uh, and then, you know, we get that moping scene where everybody's feeling sad. Val then decides to go with Melody to see the Reaper and get more info about the contracts. And essentially, what did they really get in return for the sale of their souls? And he says, well, let me show you. And then he puts Melody in front of one of those crazy Neil Perth-like drum setups and just tells her to go. And then Melody starts playing the drums, and she's really great at it. Uh, and then Val picks up a bass guitar, and she starts going off like Flea. And they realize that they can play their instruments better than they ever possibly could conceive before because they've got all the powers of hell behind their musicianship now. Uh, so there's a commotion from outside of the room. Josie has found her way inside. She goes in front of her Val and Melody on her knees and she begs for forgiveness. And she vows that she's going to do everything she can to get them on that stairway to heaven. So the girls are back together. The Reaper has volunteered to be their manager, but a sexy manager, not a dweeby manager. Uh, and then the band prepares to face off against the best musicians in hell which is basically all musicians except for Bach. Uh, and then <laughs> we get to the competition. And then I have this idea that maybe the lead guitarist for one of the other bands, uh, that's their main rival would be 
Paganini or something like that. And he's really prideful about how technically awesome he is at guitar. Uh, and the competition pool is just filled with all these talented instrumentalists that really know how to shred. Uh, and they create this really complex music, but there's not a lot of heart. So the Reaper tells them that they need to play their own music and then just play that the best that they can instead of trying to compete with the other bands on their technicality. Uh, Josie has doubts, but Val and Mel, they're on board and they help give her some confidence again. And then I imagine the competition to be kind of like Metalocalypse where there's just all this crazy, insane violence and, and gothic monster shit happening whenever a band loses. Um, so like maybe that band and the crowds around that band get swallowed by the pits of hell or something. That's yeah. where the horror comes in. I like it. Uh, and so we get to the final round and of course Satan is there to judge everyone and he's passing the pussycats every round. He's loving it. Uh, we get to the last round and Satan reveals that only God can judge them worthy of the stairway of heaven. So the ceiling opens up and this heavenly sky appears before them with the stairway visible. So the end is in sight. Uh, the girls play their heart out. They win. Maybe the Reaper is really sad to see Val go because they formed this connection. And also, of course, I wrote more romance into my horror movie because why not? Uh, and then, uh, they're just getting ready to climb up into heaven, but then Josie sees Alan M in the crowd. He has sold his own soul so that he could go down into hell to rescue Josie himself. But now she's on the stairway to heaven and he's down in the crowd. And Josie tells her friends that she's got to go back for Alan. And she's trying to bid them goodbye because she's done her part. She's she's redeemed herself from having sold their souls against their will. But Val and Melody, they're friends with Josie until the end. And when Josie refuses to walk up the stairs, they walk back down too. And really, maybe there's a joke where Melody's already down there and she says, Josie, look, Alan's here. <laughs> Uh, but then, you know, Val does the real gesture, which is like, I'm with you till the end. Right. So everybody's back in hell. Val and the Reaper have a chance to get to know each other better. They'll save Alan eventually, but everyone's together and they're happy. And I think it would be cute to end on God grumbling. What's so fun about hell anyway, uh, as the entry to heaven closes up. Yeah. And can they just keep on rocking. Yeah, can we have a Josie and the Pussycats cover of Highway to Hell at the end? Oh, that would be so cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That's a great. That's a great premise. That's full of. Yeah, get get a writer's room full of writers and go nuts. <laughs> Somebody hire the writers. <laughs> I'll sell them the idea. Josie and the Pussycats go to hell. <laughs> so that is it for this rocking episode. Before we get into Love Bites, 
better tell you guys where you can find us and tell us your favorite musicians and rock stars. You'll find us on all the social medias. That would be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as email us at the necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Now it's time for Love Bites. What do you got for us today? Well, I guess I'm going to pull a Shira and just recommend something that's related to this movie. Oh. By that, I mean, if this movie is about music and we're talking about movies and music, I, I mean, I know that I love John Carpenter, but one of the greatest film score musicians, composers of all time is Ennio Morricone. <laughs> He's amazing. Uh, he is amazing. I think it's worth it to just go on to Spotify, go on to YouTube, type in Ennio Morricone playlist and just bask in the greatness that is Ennio Morricone. I um, There's one remix in particular that I super like. So it's the uh, Ennio Morricone Ecstasy of Gold remix by Charles C on YouTube. And it's in some like, it's in some liquor commercial or something. So you might, if you hear it, you might go, oh yeah, I remember that from TV. But um, all around, I think his scores are extremely moving, extremely crazily awesome. I, uh, yeah, good, bad, the ugly. I mean, he, he defined the Western genre in like, eight musical bars or something the the famous good bad ugly riff is oh it's it's really great and uh i think he did cinema paradiso too yeah you're right and he did john carpenter's the thing such a lush such a lush score uh and the thing such a great movie the thing thing never gets old (laughs) for me uh, so yeah, I think, I think he's probably one of the, or definitely one of the greatest, if not the greatest, I think, yeah, again, worth it. Just go on to your favorite streaming service and sit with Ennio and his music for a while. I, I'm always fascinated by stuff that I knew about before I knew about it. You know what I mean? Like I knew about the good, the bad, the ugly song before I knew about Clint Eastwood. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I, I, I'm fascinated by those things that permeate pop culture so much that they take on a life of their own. And uh, Morricone's got a lot of good songs, but the good, the bad, the ugly main theme has, it's one of the best. So yeah, Ennio Morricone. You know, it's a real coincidence. I actually planned on recommending a movie soundtrack as well. Which one? Josie and the Pussycats. What? <laughs> I had the Josie and the Pussycats soundtrack uh, when I was when I was a kid. After I watched the movie, I ran out and I got the CD, <laughs> uh, which I put into my Walkman that looked exactly like Josie's. And rom-com fans might find Josie's voice, her singing voice, to be familiar because it is the same lead singer as the band Letters to Cleo, which does a cover of I Want You to Want Me on the movie 10 Things I Hate About You. 
So the Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack was actually written by a bunch of musicians, including the Letters to Cleo lead singer. One of the songwriters from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was involved in the songwriting of one of the songs. And I think that the music that they wrote for this movie is fun and cute and poppy and twee and just great girl rock. And very great for a girl in her preteen formative years. Yeah, I didn't, I did not know about that connection to uh, 10 things, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes, letters to Cleo. Uh, and yeah, she did the singing voice for Josie. And actually, apparently, uh, Rachel Lee Cook and Tara Reed and uh, Rosario Dawson, they did the backup vocals. Right. Yeah, I noticed in the uh in the credits for the movie that most of the songs were performed by Josie and the Pussycats. So I didn't know if that meant I, I didn't really know what that meant. But it's cool that yeah, that they basically made a real band with real songs. They and, did. Yeah. They so, wrote uh, yeah, a bunch of songs. Cool. An album worth of songs for this movie. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, that's not phoning it in. That's not a cheap corporate cash in that's a that's a complete album oh, i love that that's soundtrack art. i listened to that soundtrack many many times and i would recommend it to anyone who likes to listen to girls rockin that makes me sound very not cool and not rockin at all and a lot <laughs> more like parker posey who i probably right. relate to more um but uh, you know i'm going with it i like it I definitely was uh, more of a Parker Posey. I was more of a Fiona, and I wished I was a Josie very hard. Yes. <laughs> were you, you were also a Fiona? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. I was probably the other guy. Who who was that other guy? The Wyatt? Guy? No, the guy who was with Missy Pyle, the, the goofball oh, manager Oh, the manager. Guy. Oh, yeah, you yeah. are like the goofball <laughs> manager guy. Like, uh, I think they're like Alex and Alexandra. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you, you are that guy. You're, you're like him and Phil. Is that why you're sensitive to manager, manager slights? Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got big manager energy. Uh, that would be, I would not be a good manager. I'm just going to put that out there. Please, please don't come to me for any of your managerial needs. <laughs> All right. Well, let's manage to sign off now. Hey. Hey. <laughs> All right. Later. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.